John chapter 8, verses 42 through 47. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,663. For context, I'm going to start the reading in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. In our reading for today, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Maybe you are wondering why we sang what is typically a baptism song before the, um, the sermon. That song is beautiful because it proclaims the grace, the covenant grace of God to believers and to their children. But when we look at today's passage, we may think to ourselves, these are the Jews, God's covenant people. These are the ones which God made that covenant with, Abram, right? And here they are displaying so clearly characteristics that are contrary to the grace that God has bestowed upon them. It is a solemn warning to us that faith is something that we must continue to pray for for our children. Faith is something that We must call them to, even though they are baptized, they are Christians, 
and they are covenant children. So as we look at this morning's sermon, this morning's text, I want us to think of contrasts. I thought maybe an illustration would be something like a negative of film, if most of you young people probably don't know what that is, but film, when it's developed, you see a negative. You see a a negative before you treat it and, and get the photo out of it. So what we're seeing in today's sermon text is a negative because what is being described to us is the character and nature of unbelief. What it doesn't describe to us directly is the positive character of belief. But we can grasp from what it's not, what it is. So we're going to do that this morning. The theme this morning is true believers listen to Christ. Or to put it in a more direct way, if you believe, then listen to Jesus. If you believe, then listen to Jesus. Point one is this. True believers love him and do not hate him. That's verses 42 to 43. Second point is this. True believers turn from their lies and take hold of his truth. Verses 44 and 45. And then point number three. True believers hear him and do not harden their hearts. Verses 46 through 47. So let's look at point one. Love him and do not hate him. Verse 42 says, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I'm here. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. The implicit reason has already been stated by Christ. Spiritual sonship is attested by likeness and conduct, not genetics. Or we could say spiritual genetics is ethical, not genetical. So whether you claim Abraham or God... You have to back that up. And you don't back that up by a DNA test, is what Jesus is saying. You back it up by living the way that somebody who claims Abraham as their father or God as their father would live. The explicit criterion then is that God cannot be their father. The fact that God cannot be their father is love for Jesus. They don't have it. They don't have love for Jesus. The family connection is clear. If God was their father then they would love their brother, Christ, the unique son of God. That is to say that everyone who loves the parent will love the child. It would be strange for us to hear somebody say, oh, you know, I I love so-and-so, but I don't like their kids. Maybe some of you are tempted to do that with me, but I implore you, if you love me, that You should also love my children. So if they love God, the Father, they will love God's Son. Christ here is saying, just as he did before, if Abraham is your father, you would do the things that Abraham did. Namely, have faith in Jesus, right? So if God is your father, you would do the things that God does. Namely, love the Son. Then Christ goes on to say, for I came from God and now I'm here. The original Greek here is saying, for I came forth and have come from God. It can be a bit confusing when you read it in such a fashion. But really what he's saying is, I came from God into the world by the incarnation. 
And then I have come from God to be his messenger. I came from God. That is, I took on flesh. I dwelt among us. I tabernacled among us, as John's prologue describes. Now that I'm here, I have come from God to be his messenger, to be the proclaimer of truth. Here's the light of the world, the great I am, the son of man, saying, I'm here before you, sent by God to bring his message, to reveal the Father to you, the God you claim as your Father, and yet you hate me and do not love me. You hate me and do not love me. Verse 43 says, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. The NIV translates Jesus' words as, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. But in the Greek, this translates more clearly as, Why is my manner of speaking, why is my language not clear to you? It is because you will not hear my logos. You do not hear my word. Of course, we understand the theological importance of the word logos from John's gospel. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Here is Jesus saying, you will not hear my word. The message of Christ is the message of the Father is what he's saying. That these believers are claiming as their own. Yet Christ reveals that they're unwilling to listen. They're unable to listen because only true believers listen to Christ. Therefore, if you believe, listen to Jesus. One commentator says, They did not understand his outward speech, which the ear could pick up, because they did not hear the word, the logos, the message it expressed which could, apprehend, could be apprehended only by the enlightened mind. This is the reason why Jesus often ends his messages and his parables with these words. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. They heard, but they could not hear because they did not love. Or maybe to say it this way, to believe Christ is to love Christ. To love Christ is to listen to Christ. Another commentator says, they did not hear with faith in their hearts. And for that reason, they could not understand his word and its true meaning. It was for them like a strange language because the world from which and the father from whom Jesus spoke were not theirs. So maybe at this point, you're wondering, what is this calling me to do? Well, here's a question. Do you love Christ? Do you love your faithful Savior? How is affection for your Jesus stirred up within your heart? How are you developing more and more love and affection for him? I mean, you are united with Christ. 
You are seated with him in heavenly places. He died on the cross for your sins. With a joy set before him because he knew, he knew upon the cross when all the wrath of God would be poured out upon him that he would have you. I mean, he loves you. Do you love him? The people you love. You spend time with them, don't you? You speak to them often. Or maybe somebody here is a hater of Christ, like these Jews, unable to hear what Christ has to say. And I pray that the Spirit of God would work through the Word this morning to open your ears so that you would have ears to hear. So that is point number one, love him and do not hate him. Point number two, true believers turn from their lies and take hold of his truth. Verse 44 says this, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So finally, the mystery identity of these believers' father, these believers' father, is finally revealed. Here's the kicker. Their father's not Abraham. Their father is not God. Their father is the devil. Now, I don't know about you, but that's quite an insult. And this is coming from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is saying, you're not the seed of the woman. You're the seed of the serpent. You're not the seed of the woman. You're the seed of the serpent. And this being an ethical and moral kinship is the reason that Christ emphasizes desire here. He says, you're seeking to carry out your father's desires. He says this to open their eyes to the actual source of their impulses, the true father behind their works. He wants them to consider why they want to kill him. He wants them to consider why is it that they will not listen to him. What are the characteristics that they are exhibiting, these Jews, that revealed that Satan is their father? There are two. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, is what Christ says. This is referring to the fall. One commentator states that by the success of his temptation, that is Satan's temptation, he robbed Adam of spiritual life and through him brought death to the entire race. That is that Satan is the font of murder because Satan is the one that caused our first parents to stumble and because our first parents stumbled, we have death. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and then this way death came to all people, because all sinned. And here are these Jews seeking to murder Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you're just like your father, who was a murderer from the beginning. And the second characteristics, characteristic excuse me, is the devil is a liar. And the father of lies. Once again, 
This is referring to the fall. I want you to consider the account in Genesis 3. Earlier, God said, You shall not eat from this tree, for on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And then what's the serpent say to Eve? You will not surely die. You see, when the devil lies, he speaks his native tongue. The devil lies as naturally as God speaks the truth. Or maybe we could say it this way. Paul in Romans says, let all men be liars. Let God speak the truth and all men be liars, right? Well, in the devil's case, it would be reverse. True believers, though, will love the truth. True believers will embrace the truth. True believers recognize truth. True believers hear it and know it. Yet children of the devil will be recognized by their unwillingness to accept the truth. And here are these Jews rejecting Jesus, who is himself the embodiment of truth. What does verse 45 say? Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. We shouldn't be quick to move past this verse for what Christ is saying here is profound and it's very sobering. What exactly does it mean that the devil was not a holder of the truth, as it stated earlier? And how exactly are these Jews exemplifying Satan in their behavior toward Christ? Notice how Christ does not say an exasperation. Although I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Rather, he uses causal language. He says, because I tell the truth, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. One theologian says here that the children of God will so love the truth that they will believe in Jesus. The children of the devil will be so characterized by lies that they will not be able to accept the truth precisely because it is the truth. Maybe a modern example of this would be the fact that atheists spend a lot of time trying to disprove God, whom they say doesn't exist and we shouldn't worry about. Or, if you have never noticed, there's a lot more attack upon the Christian religion and its beliefs than on any other. That is because unbelief reveals itself in the fact that it can know what is truth Precisely so that it can reject what is truth. This is describing the nature of unbelief. But as I stated earlier, this verse does not positively explain belief. That's because if you remember, it's been some time ago that we looked at chapter 6 of John's gospel. Christ in that chapter explained positively what true belief is. He proclaimed there the necessity of being drawn by the Father. He says, no one can come to me except the one who's drawn by the Father. Of being given to the Son, of being taught by God and being chosen by Jesus. It's then and only then, by God's grace alone, when we are born again by the Holy Spirit, that you can turn from lies and take hold of truth. 
Take hold of Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father but by Him. One commentator states that this combination of themes strips away any ground of boasting or arrogance from those who do believe. That is to say, we can proclaim that we are no different than anyone else. And the reason that we are saved and somebody else is not, is grace and grace alone. It is not because of anything in me. But then it goes on to say, while at the same time it challenges and threatens unbelievers at the very core of their being, insistently demanding that they reconsider their direction and entire array of values that have stamped their life to this point. What he's saying, basically, is that true believers listen to Christ because Christ has opened their eyes to listen. So if you believe, then listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Have you turned from lies? Maybe you've turned from lies in an expression of unbelief because you've been granted true faith by grace, but maybe there are still areas in your life where you exhibit unbelief. Consider the father who brought his son, demon-possessed son, to Jesus, who said, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Are you a holder of the truth? Or a rejecter of truth? Precisely because it is truth. People of God, where can you let go of lies in your life? So that you can take hold of the one who is truth more fully, more deeply. Our final point, point three. True believers hear him and do not harden their hearts. Let's look at verse 46. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? This is a rhetorical question. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin, but it shouldn't be misunderstood. Jesus is not asking here if anyone before him thinks he is guilty of sin. Consider the accounts already in John's gospel. They believe that he's broken the Sabbath. They've already attempted to stone him to death because they believe he's committed blasphemy by making himself equal with God. Now, that's not the question. The question is not whether anyone thinks he's guilty of sin. The question is whether anyone can prove him guilty of sin. More clearly, he's saying that before the one court that ultimately matters, he would be vindicated and proven to be without sin. What court is that? It's the heavenly court, the throne room of grace. And that place, his opponents cannot prove him guilty of sin. In that place, he is the victor and they are the guilty ones. Christ is drawing a sharp contrast here. He is saying unashamedly to them that he is the one without sin. Therefore, as one commentator says, if the best theological minds, that is the Jews, the best theological minds 
of their time. However much they may dislike Jesus' claims and dispute his teachings, find it impossible to marshal convincing reasons that would convict him of sin before the Father, should they not begin to question themselves? Let me put it this way. If Jesus is the one without sin, maybe that means I am the one with sin. Maybe it is the case that I am of my father, the devil, and Jesus of Nazareth is of his father, God. I want to put myself in the Jew's position. If he is telling the truth, if Jesus is telling the truth, Why am I not believing him? Could it be that I am holding down the truth, I'm suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, that I have traded the truth of God for a lie? Could it be that Jesus here is showing me that I love my sin more than I love him, more than I love God? And because I love my sin more than I love God, I have created a false God that makes me feel better about myself, glorifies me, but not a true God. Could it be that I love my sin too much and that's why I won't, I will not believe in Him? You see where it's pressing, right? Where it's going, where it's heading. Finally, verse 47, he who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This final verse is the answer to Christ's own rhetorical question. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling you the truth, if I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe me? Consider here the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when he stated, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. One theologian says, the fatherhood out of which a person lives determines how that person hears. To be of God, that is to be born of God, that is to be born from above, to be born again, is to hear, understand, and believe the words that God has spoken in this world, primarily the word that he has spoken in this world, who is Logos, Jesus Christ. Very bluntly, Jesus says, the reason that you, Jews, who are of your father, the devil, do not hear is that you do not belong to God. True believers listen to Christ because they belong to God. Unbelievers cannot listen to Christ because they do not belong to God. So in this very severe conclusion, Christ is implicitly warning us to hear Him and to not harden our hearts to his gospel message. We are to be like Peter, who replied to Jesus when he said, 
Are you now going to leave me? With these words, where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of life. So people of God, in what ways are you listening to Jesus? In what ways are you hearing what God has to say to you through Christ, his revelation? In what ways are you opening up God's word and allowing the spirit and grace of God to be something that conforms and transforms you to the image of Christ? And how are you hardening yourself against it? Are there certain things that you don't want to hear from Jesus? Because you just, you, you, you just don't want to deal with it right now. Or you think, I'm just not going to listen to that because I feel like it's going to cause me to have to give up something that I feel like I have liberty, you know, our freedom to do this and... and, and I don't want to be convicted that it's a sin. How are you hearing Christ? How are you hardening your heart? I want to remind you that if you believe, if you believe, listen to Jesus. True believers listen to Christ. They love him and do not hate him. They turn from their lies and take hold of his truth. And they hear him and do not harden their hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, we praise you for all here who have been granted as a gift of your grace true faith. May they never boast in that true faith, but always be amazed that they have salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ. And may that be a motivator to grow in godliness and holiness. May that be a motivator to grow in their love of, their, of your Son, Jesus Christ. May that be a motivator that we could all examine our lives and see where we continue to cling to lies and let go of them so that we can take hold of Jesus Christ who is the truth. And may we examine our lives in light of the grace you've shown us in Jesus Christ that our ears would be ears to hear and that we would not harden our hearts against your gospel message. But continue Continue through the ordinary means of grace, through the preaching of your word, through the Lord's Supper, through Bible reading and study, through prayer, to be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, as we all await the day that we will be in perfect fellowship with you, praising you and the Lamb who was slain for all eternity. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.